You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 417. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season two of the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series, Ragnarok. And uh, things are happening pretty quickly in the show. We'll get to that in a second. But how's your week been in the uh, last time we talked? Well, uh, you know, good. Uh, I once again took another daughter the uh, five hours down to Virginia Beach and back again for field hockey. So I think we are finally done going to Virginia Beach for field hockey. Uh, it's been three times in like the last five weeks. So, um, you know, I'm, not, I'm happy about that. I am unhappy that the United States basketball team just lost to Nigeria. Um, obviously, that's awesome for Nigeria. That's that's great, but uh, man, I am just uh, not uh, not not uh, not proud of the way the boys played uh, tonight. And I, this is just an exhibition game, so I'm hoping that you know that it's just some minor things we got to iron out before the the Olympics. But um, it's not a great start. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm dating myself when I say that uh, I remember. The first time the U.S. lost to the Russians back, and I won't say the year. You can Google it if you want to. <laughs> and that was quite a shock then. I think even a bigger shock than, than losing to Nigeria because at this point, as you pointed out, it was an exhibition. And I'm not sure, you know, you told me some of the guys that were playing, but who knows what kind of roster they took over there. Or Well, I, like I said, I mean, they still had Jason Tatum. They had and They had yeah. KD played and Draymond Green and – you know, yeah, okay. so they they that, had their they had their guys there. That should have been enough. Yeah, that, right. You think Kevin Durant by himself would be able to 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 win the game? But yeah, yeah. So, so. all right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get started with this uh, podcast before we start talking basketball. <laughs> yeah, you know, which you know we'll be talking football soon enough, guys. Sure. Don't worry. Yeah. You know the the training camp's only about a month away. But uh, you might not be. They might not be looking forward to that. But but I am. We are, absolutely. Uh, baseball's been a painful couple of months, yes. but whatever. Uh, anyway, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, our Patreon accounts exist to help defray the costs of producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And, you know, if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to the website, sci-fi-tv-rewatch.podbean.com, and that there is a link over on the right-hand side. All right, um, tip of the week, what we're watching. You want to go first this time? Sure. So, um, I was just rooting around on HBO Max, and I not like I, I this. I found a show that I had started watching as much as I could in America, and I could find on DVD at the library. And but it's the uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, okay. I've never watched that at all. They are very good, especially if you you know they're they're more classic Who than the new doctor who you know like the the um aliens are you know not super you know like you can tell it's like people in suits and stuff like sure, that so sure but that it doesn't matter you know just like with uh classic who it just it doesn't matter because the strength was in the stories and the the characters and the actors you know sarah jane smith who did some time with the third and fourth doctors uh now is um older and in the first episode, she runs into a group of kids. She ends up adopting one of the kids. And actually, they were in one of the, the I think the, the, oh, the World's End, I believe, was the, the um, 
the Doctor Who season maybe three or four um, that uh, Sarah Jane and, and the kids were in. Um, and, you know, like the kid actors are awesome and they're really, really good. Of course, they're not kids now. This is back in the show, I think, ran from like 20, 2007 to 2011, something like that. But the uh, the kids are great. Um, Elizabeth Sladen, uh, rest her soul, is obviously awesome as Sarah Jane. And it's just a really super enjoyable show. I get, you know, I don't go in there to, to call it, you know, you know, art, super artistic television or anything like that. But it's a uh, very, very enjoyable, much like, you know, the kind of kick I get uh, watching Doctor Who, except these are just kids. So they don't have any kind of really like spacey things. They, you know, have to rely a lot of times on hard work and nerve, which is a good lesson for everyone, I think. So, cool. um, so that's one thing. Then the other thing, which I'm not going to really go into more detail, but I, 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 I'm almost at the end of a uh, X Men movies rewatch, so which you probably haven't seen. Have you seen any no, of the X-Men I've, I've seen a bunch of them. Yeah, okay. I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, they're fun. I, yeah, I, I certainly enjoy it. Yeah, you know, we were talking about, uh, or I watched Lupin a couple weeks ago, and you know, the the guy there, uh, Omar, I can't remember his last name, but he's in uh, Days of Future Past, and so I thought, you know what. It uh, it has been a while since I've gone and watched all the X Men movies, so uh, I am. So I've watched all the the X Men movies and the three uh, Wolverine movies, and I just have the two Deadpool movies to go, and I will have completed my X Men rewatch. All right. Well, I mentioned last week that I started season three of the Turkish Netflix series Atia the Gift. And I also mentioned last time that the showrunner and the writers are asking a lot of the audience. Well, after two episodes of season three, my wife and I decided, you know what? They're asking too much. We got to go back and rewatch season two, which we did. And we've completed season three. It's it's just is a great show. It's difficult to classify. There are elements of science fiction, supernatural. Then, of course, there's a historical archaeological component, which is actually real as as you and i have talked uh before about the the dig at uh, gobekli tepe Mm -hmm. in turkey but uh yeah that's really cool uh i also started season two of biohackers on netflix which is a german show and as i was telling my wife it's really more mystery suspense than science fiction i mean it's got that science fiction component that the, the the core characters are experimenting with the human genome and genetics and, and, you know, messing around with human DNA and all of that. But it's a good show. It's not great, but, but it's only six episodes each season. Uh, it's good characters. And, you know, again, like I said, it doesn't take long to get through. And then season four of Atypical just dropped, and my wife and I started checking that out. It's a great show. The, the main character has autism, and it's, it, it's all about him and his family just just dealing with the world it's funny it's it's heartfelt it's it's just really a great show i I know fred watches i don't know if he's seen season four yet uh, that just dropped but cool all right well let's get to ragnarok episode four season two god is god though all men tasted death written by adam price and emily lebeck as we said they've written all of season two directed by mogan's hagedorn and the whole series dropped May 27th, 2021 on Netflix. Now, I was a little 
unclear about, you know, the little opening piece of information we get each episode. Tyr, god of war in Norse mythology, lost his right hand when he sacrificed himself in battle. Okay, that made me think of Tyr Anasazi from Andromeda, which, I don't know, we saw the pilot Watch together. the pilot, right, yeah. right, right. But, uh, I mean, is there something I'm missing about this piece of information and how it applies to the show? Well, the, the that's the dude that they, I assume it's the dude that Iman found at the gym. Oh, okay. So he's going to lose his right hand or right. she that took it is, away from him metaphorically by focusing and making him go to his left. So, so not that. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, like that, in the, uh, the Rocky movies or something like exactly. that. Actually, it's the other way around, I think. But uh, yeah. but still. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, that that was... At first, I was wondering if Tyr was just another name for Thor or something like that. But uh, you know, obviously not. They brought in a new guy who seems like he's going to join team uh wotan here okay now i did get spoiled in in a little respect and maybe not so little as it may turn out but it wasn't from facebook it wasn't from reading an article it was actually going to wikipedia uh looking something else up about ragnarok and and it has to do with sax's character and you know her name comes from a Norse Norse mythological figure, and it ties into one of our other characters. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody else, but I, I think we're getting some hints along this line, some of which we'll talk about tonight. But I'll just throw that out there. And I don't think I could be any more vague than I just was. So yeah, that was pretty vague. So I think you're safe. <laughs> okay. Well, you, know, uh, but you raise a good point because it's kind of like when I was watching you know Vikings, and I'm like. Oh, and I look up Ragnar Lothbrok, and then I find out all this stuff and how he died and everything, and it totally spoiled it. Now that being said, who knows how much this show is going to actually follow Norse mythology? Right. right? I had said last week that in the mythology, Loki ends up fighting with the giants, but that doesn't mean the show is going to go like that. In fact, they might actually be toying with us and. Uh, all the references to Norse mythology and and um, you know um, Manya's interest in it, and they might actually have the characters you know end up making their own decisions, free of what the gods did in the mythology and everything. So, so yeah. So who knows? And, you know, we'll, we'll only tell in hindsight whether the, you know knowing the actual mythology will will spoil anything or not. But uh, I think it's probably pretty safe to check it out. Okay. Um, well, you know, obviously this is a really heavily character-driven episode, and I really like this episode. Maybe my favorite of the season so far. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I mean, obviously a, a large aspect of it is whether or not Manya can overcome the guilt he feels about Vidar's death and refocus on the bigger picture. And, you know, we, we get the scenes where he's crying and, and it just... And I don't mean to make light of the fact that it must be just terribly traumatic to kill a man, or yeah. in this case, a giant. But, dude, you killed him and he turned to dust before your eyes. So you didn't kill a man. You know what I mean? You didn't kill yeah. a fellow human being. So on the one hand, I'm a little bothered by his extended reaction to this because the giant family has not gone away 
And I love the fact that Iman has to take charge and basically metaphorically slap him back to reality. Uh, so, you, you know, it, it can't take too long. I mean, we only got two episodes left right. to go in season two. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, he is, you know, but I, on the other hand, I, I liked that he is showing this regret and this remorse obviously as you said yes because he killed someone um and whether that's a human or uh or you know whatever it's gonna have an impact he's still you know we think uh, you know we forget i think sometimes that he's still just a kid you know he's very young and i think also is what this is doing to his relationship with his brother as well is um is, is causing him and you know, we've we've made a number of you know comparisons between this and the Spider Man movies, right? And um, even in in the Spider Man movies, uh, Peter Parker gets to a point where he doesn't want to be Spider Man anymore, right? He he doesn't want the power. He doesn't want to, to be burdened with the responsibility of helping everyone, and he just get, becomes Peter Parker. And of course, he's forced into having to kind of get over that and 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 take up his mantle again but you know i, I see again I, I believe that the uh the people who write this are, are big fans of the spider-man films at least the the toby mcguire trilogy and um you know follow it pretty uh, pretty faithfully yeah and, and they're also fans of employing dramatic irony in, in a really facile way i mean the opening scene where manya's crying and mom learns the news about Vidar's death and has to break it to her sons. And of course we know they already know they were there. Mm -hmm. So it, it, we're going to be watching to see how they react to the news from the mother. And I, I guess she's so stunned by that. She doesn't really notice the reaction that her two sons have, but when she hugs Lawrence, he gives Manya that evil eye. And, and of course throughout this episode, we're still trying to figure out, the relationship the brothers are having at this point and are going to have in the future. And, and certainly that look he gives them is not something that we see them together. But what do you think about the scene with Manya confronting Fjord in the middle of the road to explain how Vidar died? And then it's like, dude, I know, you know, I know what you people expect. So if you, if you want to go mano a mano with me, I'm, I'm here for you. I think Fjord's development just in the scope of the show is probably what I like the most about this. We're wondering about him and questioning his motives and everything and whether he was doing things just to impress Gree or if these were heartfelt things or what was his deal overall. And, uh, and that scene is just great because Manya confronts him, tells him, I killed your dad. You just see him gripping his fit you know balling yeah. up his fists and everything obviously and and then he composes himself and then's like hey no, nbd man don't worry about it you know um, right and right so, and, and we're still going to get that scene where he's eating ice cream on the steps with gree and still planning to go away with her but but this is probably that first step towards making that final decision to stay and fight right uh, you know, we, we see that, yeah, that, that he hasn't totally written off his family, even though he tells Saxa, I'm out, 
right? I'm done. I'm, I'm moving away. I'm out. But we see he's torn and he's conflicted about it. And and ultimately, in that you know, that last scene where he's naked with uh, the axe, that he is uh, he is definitely taking on the mantle that uh, from his father's death. I, I use that saying again: taking on the mantle. I should say something else. Picking up the sword. He's picking up where dad left off. He's I'm sorry. He's a hundred percent in uh, well, back it, with the family. Yeah, and it's a nice contrast to the scene in, in which. Manya, still struggling with what he's done to Vidar, gives his hammer to Wotan and, and walks away. And right. then, of course, as you say, we've, we've got Fjord going to, you know, the little, you know, burial plot or whatever that is. I guess they buried his sword because there was nothing of him to bury. Right. But, uh, yes, so that was a great scene as well. And, and we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the work that the actor that plays Manya has done in the gym in the off season. So I don't know if they used a body double for Fjord at the end there, but uh, I think the two guys might've been working out together um, because he looked a lot buffer than, than we've seen him uh, as well. Um, You know, the whole thing about the Udall family and, and the dynamic that's taking place with what's left of them is really maybe more fascinating than Manya's struggle with, you know, his his conscious at, at this point. And you mentioned the scene where Saxa and Fjor meet in the middle of the night to talk about, and it was a great scene. I'm not sure why they felt the need to go out in the middle of nowhere. I, I mean, couldn't they yeah. have just gone in one of the other's bedroom, closed the door, and talked about it at home? But from a dramatic uh, perspective it was right, really yeah. a cool scene and, and as you said he tells her he's out and and there, there was a lot of subtlety in this episode whether it's glances that a character gives another character or just a a subtle touch on the shoulder or touch of the hand and you know with, with saxa it, it's almost like she's struggling with the fact that she doesn't feel any emotion when people around her clearly are. I mean, you know, as she says, Ron's smoking, she's drinking white wine, and, and, you know, she's acting like she lost her husband, which she did. And then, of course, you know, that question about whether or not Fjord is doing things just for Gree or whether he truly loves her. And, and I think we get our answer here that he really truly does love her. It's just the pull of family is just too strong at this point so whether it's like genetically coded in him to you know stick with team giant we don't really know at this point but yeah do we really have to have him go to church to listen to a pastor deliver a eulogy or you know whatever that seems completely out of line with the actual occasion right he's he's there for vidar's death and the whole thing is like Who's going to take over for Vidar? It's like, wait, is that really, is that really the topic of like, shouldn't, shouldn't your, uh, your your sermon or whatever be more about like Vidar and his life and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, rather well, than directly speaking to the narrative need for for Fjord to hear those words, right? 
Well, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But, you know, in retrospect, yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, maybe you could argue that Udall Industries is such an integral part of the town that he felt maybe the pressure to do that. But I don't know. It doesn't make sense, like you said. But yeah. Well, but the, speaking of, of the town, does everyone has everyone just forgotten how he was poisoning their water? And that they can't drink their water because of what Vidar was doing, but they're flying flags at half mass for him. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, I know, I know. Like, come um, on now, Norway, you know, let's get it together. Um, you, you know, the one incident I did want to bring up, and it it takes place in that covert meeting between Saxa and Fjor. She calls him a coward, and again, is that a catalyst that leads him to? Number one, go to the church in the first place, albeit he's hiding up in the rafters. And then that really powerful scene when he walks down and takes that guy's place as a pallbearer. Boy, what what if he had pushed uh, Lawrence out of the way? Mm-hmm. That would have been pretty interesting. That would have been uh, interesting. But... You know, would not have worked narratively, but yeah. No, but, but all these little aspects seem to kind of just push him to to making that final decision. And then what's the deal with Lawrence? I mean, okay, first of all, what the hell is the deal with Manya? Okay, you come into a funeral late, and, and trust me, my wife and I have been to our share of weddings late. <laughs> Funerals, we can usually get it together, be on time. But, you know, but we're pretty good at going in the door quietly. Yeah. So the entire congregation doesn't turn around. So, you know, I really didn't like that. It, 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 I mean, are you trying to present Manya as being this completely socially inept 17-year-old? That's just, again, from a narrative perspective, I get it. Fine. All right. Whatever. It, it sets it up for Lartz to go back and confront him. And then instead of returning to the seat next to his mom... He takes the open seat, we assume, has been left for Fjord. And the look that Saxa and Ron give, particularly Saxa, like, what the hell are you doing, young man? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, well, I, I thought they maybe would have been thinking a different word than hell when he yeah, did that. But, yeah, you yeah. know, it's the same thing. But yeah, that, and you're right that that scene does not, it, 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 it takes us out, right? We talk about how, you know, watching a television show requires suspension of disbelief, right? And you have to, and it's willing, you know, as to quote uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge in that, um, that, you know, we, we are, we willingly give up our, our, our disbelief, right? But then they do something like that where Manya shows up, he, he closes the door loudly. Everyone turns around, you know, obviously, that to us it strikes everyone who watched that as completely false. As you said, we all have that experience of being late to something that is a you're not supposed to be late to, and b people are quiet and, and you know attentive, so that you know your lateness can be noted and everything. But you so you go in very quietly. You take the last row. You or you stand up in the back. You know you don't you know, slam the door and everything. So, 
as as you said, it, it narratively it kind of works, but it's also something that it pulls us out of the episode a little bit. We think, mm, yeah, I don't, I'm not buying that, right? Yeah, yeah, it gets us down into the minus range when we talk about letter grades here. But <laughs> and the thing with Lawrence, I mean, I mean, it, we're talking about a matter of days, maybe a week or two at the most that he's known he was Vidar's son. And now him ingratiating himself into the family, again, how realistic is that? But as my wife would say, oh, okay, you're good with giants and gods, but that, <laughs> right. that bothers you. But but I guess, from a, again, from a narrative perspective, will the Udals accept Lartz because they're down a man at this point? True. And I think whether or not the emotionally you know uh compromised run at this point she's going to have to ignore the fact that Lawrence is her husband's bastard child whether we want to accept the fact that well they're not really husband and wife she sees it that way she sees their relationship that way and whether he saw it that way we don't know at this point and i guess we're never going to know but clearly she sees it that way and and that's all that's important at this point so you know, uh, you can certainly see them accepting him because they understand that Thor is a formidable foe and Team God is, is uh, small G, I guess, uh, yeah. is, you know, getting stronger by the day. But the other thing that, that comes out of this episode, and we've gotten some hints in previous episodes is it just me or is there something going on between Soxa and Magna? Well, there's there's certainly a suggestion of that for sure. I, it's going to happen. Um, that, you know, like you said, you don't introduce a gun in Act One unless you're going to have it uh, use it by Act Three, right? So all of these little looks that uh, passing in these interactions between Saxa and Manya, it's going to add up to something. Some there's there's something cooking between those two for sure. Um, I would put my almost 100 percent seal of approval on that prediction right there. And I think also what I I think might be happening is whereas we see in this episode Soxa more and more taking over control of the family, but now Fiora is going to be back, right? Yeah. And so it's all going to revert to him. Well, she's not going to be chuffed about that, right? No. And and so what's going to happen there? You know, might we see a Saxa going over to Team Asgard. Yeah, yeah so. and, and, and does it give an opening for Loritz to weasel his way into one or the other? I mean, pick pick a sibling. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, clearly there's something unspoken, unresolved between Saxa and Magna. I wonder if she moved by his emotional response because we we can't let go of the fact that She's struggling with emotion as well. It's just in her case, she sees everybody around her getting emotional. And the fact that she doesn't, it's almost as if it's starting to bother her. So is it going to be something she can learn? I mean, apparently her mother, and I'm making air quotes, uh, you know, apparently uh, Ren learned it. So... Again, it's and, and fewer as well. So, 
again, just to me, just fascinating the <laughs> dynamic that's going on in this family. Is this it for Gree? Is she going to survive after all? <laughs> we had her uh, dead and buried a number of times. True, and I'm not giving up on that just yet. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, but yeah, she might have she might have cut out. She might she might have gotten out, and and maybe she will. Uh, survive until she you know comes back in like season five and is killed in episode one as some to in order to inspire manya to i don't know whatever yeah. um yeah there, there's still that he goes back to see her and, and we were reminded that she was his crush uh last season and everything uh, which actually we reminded that quite a bit and i think about it but yeah you know I, who who knows but uh you know i i i if she survives, then I will be glad because she's a, a nice character. Well, yeah, and, and I really like the the way she handles the emotional magna and, and the fact that you know, she understands he really liked her and, and, you know, they're teenagers and their relationship never really went anywhere. But she's, she's you know, she's very kind about it all and, and, and he's getting it. You know, he, he's kind of uh, got the reality of the situation at this point. But – I guess it just occurs to me that there really don't seem to be very many logical ways to bring her back into the story. I mean, really, it's like, oh, you know what? I forgot something in my old bedroom. I'm going to go back and <laughs> right. you know, she comes back and the, and the battle's going on. Or Fior, uh, you know, I really miss her. I, you know, I'll be back in a, in a bit. I'm good. It, I just don't see a way to bring her back. And, right. and that's okay. I mean, she served a really good purpose in, in the story. So, you know, maybe it's best to just let her ride out of town and, and you know, we see her at her best. So, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I, um, I, I would, you know, probably have to agree with you that we've probably seen the last of Gree, but, you know, you never know. She still is a big emotional catalyst uh, for both Fior and, and Manya. And I guess we actually should write off her death because her death would have, would emotionally impact both of those characters. So Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Another great parallel in this episode, uh, you know, we, we talked about when Fior and Saxa meet in, in that parking lot and, and she calls him a coward for walking away. Iman confronts Magna about walking away and reminds him that people die in wars. And, and we've talked about over the last couple of weeks that it doesn't seem as if she gets it, that she's involved in this war. And now here th the, the situation's completely turned around. She's the one that gets it and and he doesn't. And that scene where she goes to the gym, oh my God, that that has to be my favorite episode or our favorite scene of certainly season two. I mean, she goes in there. We're not sure exactly what she's doing, but she's walking down that hallway. The music's playing. She goes in the gym. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> she's got the pink gloves. The pink gloves are classic. Oh my God. And clearly, again, you and I have talked about this before. We can just watch a young man, young woman, the way they stand, the way they hold themselves, whether or not they're an athlete. They didn't train her to do that. She already, I'm, I'm certain she boxes in real life. You know, I mean, not professionally, where she's going in a ring with somebody, but she clearly trains. I mean, you just watch her movement. And, and just that little subtle thing when, when she 
tells the guy, don't insult me. And she reaches in her pocket and pulls out her mouthpiece. Yeah. You know, just that little subtle attention to detail that, that I think really just puts that scene to another level. And then she, of course, kicks his ass. And we understand you know, what the outcome actually means. We don't know whether she went into it thinking, all right, I'm going to test this guy because we need to add to you know, Team Thor here. But that's certainly the way it plays out because this guy just won't give up. And I guess the, the detail that I missed about the necklace because she says to Wotan, do you still have the necklace that basically gives people their powers? I mean, at least that's how I heard it. I'm not sure if that's exactly what she said, but. Yeah, yeah right. I, I was unclear with that as well. I was yeah thinking, yeah, does the, does the necklace bestow it or does the necklace help someone who inherently already has this right. ability that brings it out of them you know right which is what i thought because what that if wanky had gone up to Lawrence when they first came into town he would have been thor right and, and so yeah so whatever maybe we'll get some clarity on that later on but you know just really a great scene where we've questioned whether she was ready for the coming fight yeah clearly she's ready right and and i i just yeah, she's just such a great character. I, I I don't know what else to say about her. Well, it, it's funny because you know you talked about how her trying to get Manya back in the game, and it was just last episode where he was the one telling her, you know, this isn't fun and games. This is war, right, and everything. Um, and now she is basically telling him that same thing. So it, it was a, a nice kind of role reversal there that that they did. But but yeah, she is now starting to become kind of the uh, de facto leader, if not the de jure leader, um, Wotan seems to be, even though he's bummed, I guess, that he can't get his little scooter tricked out with eight golden horses. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, oh, the one thing I did want to bring up before we you know, move into a different area here, when, when the teens are at the, uh, at the grill, and they're talking about you know social activism. Magna walks in, and she overhears them talking about her family as the evil empire. Now, for those of you that are in the states, you know when we talk about evil empire, we're talking about one of two things: New York Yankees, New England Patriots. Right. Those two are clearly the evil empire. So, yes. those of you that are outside the states, you might not know that. So, uh, I doubt whether they meant to imply that at all but i took it that way yeah. so it was uh, also the name of a of an album by rage against the machine too oh okay Lartz has a new look not the first time he's had a new look but the black yeah. hair slick back the eye makeup the earring uh he he means to make an impression and 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 he certainly does and then of course that sends magna out to run into the mountaintop to ask for a sign and you know once once they're in the church for the funeral and he's there praying to not be a god and have his powers taken away and then the lightning strikes the church and shatters the glass so is his prayer answered or is it denied i feel denied okay that's the way that's the way i think we have to (laughs) interpret it as well well it's funny with um you know what you said about Lawrence taking on this new look and with manya going back to his 
old look, and we see the old Washington Redskins yes. shirt out again, which just kills me. I'm like, what on earth is a Norwegian kid doing the Washington Redskins shirt? You know, I just I wonder if someone on the in the crew or whatever, you know, maybe spent some time in DC or something, became a big fan. Obviously, they are no longer the Redskins, and that name is no longer appropriate. So his shirt is like super vintage now. Um, but doubt that they were going for the hipster ironic meaning of it when he wore it. Um, but it's just, yeah, I just think it's the funniest thing that if, if, uh, I don't know, it just seems like if someone from another country were going to be wearing a, a football jersey, it would, you know, or a shirt, it would be like, you know, a Cowboys or 49ers or something like that. Well, you know, and again, we've talked before, so many of these international shows use American music, which, again, I'm not sure exactly why. And then, as we've said many times, we watch the vast majority of our shows in the original language, and yet, invariably, they'll blurt out a sentence in English for whatever reason. And the person they're talking to understands them, but, well, okay, where did that come from? Right. I don't know, but uh, you know, you know, we talked about who's going to lead Team Giant in the aftermath of Vidar's death, and and certainly it looks like it's coming down to a battle between Saxa and Fjord, and and whether Lawrence is going to be the deciding factor. I, I think it's sort of leading in that direction because, you know, I mean, Ron wants to exact blood vengeance, and 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 Saxa seems to be the one that's got the cooler head at this point again a great exchange when she's talking about moving the company and the family into the 21st century that you know the world is not old white guys anymore that that we need to you know you know represent more of you know the people of the town and 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 certainly that is a forward-thinking way but she also realizes that Ran is kind of out of it and we don't know how long that's going to last you know is she going to be prone to making irrational choices and it's going to take saxa to rein her in you see this this is what i find most fascinating is that saxa's got really she's got three obstacles in her way and you all hell about to break loose so I don't know. I mean, Team Giant needs to pull itself together here, but I guess you could argue that uh, Team Thor is is in just as bad a spot. Yeah, both teams are, are not doing great, but while the kind of like the guy who's really the center of of Team Thor, Team Asgard, whatever, is you know actively trying to get out. But of course, we just saw that with with Fior last, uh, you know, just recently. You know, Fior is back. And taken over, but you know, like you said, there is that that crack there, right? Like when the the lawyer guy comes to their house and he's like, "Well, you know, the the company statutes say that the next male heir is supposed to take over, but you know, Fior is seems like he doesn't want to do it, and you know, Vidar had said that he wanted Sax to do it, and Ron just totally backs Fior, right? And Sax it looks at her like. WTF? Like, yeah, what I mean, do pa- I have paternalism to do at its worst? You know, yeah. yeah. And and I guess with Team Thor, at least they're not fighting amongst themselves. 
which is what we're seeing with Team Giant. But, you know, when Fjord shows up, the two women, you know, in the church, the two women look a bit stunned. And did you notice Saxa briefly takes the grieving Ron's hand? And I, I, I guess I can't help but try to examine her motives there. Did she do it because she really felt that in the moment? Or did she do it because, well, that's what other people would do? That's what I should do. I don't really feel anything because it seems like a very awkward movement and then right. uh, you know then then you know she she takes it away a, a, as well so I, again fascinating you know the minister's talking about the family legacy of son following father and you know that's we see fewer up in the up in the rafters but i don't know um you know the scene with Lawrence in the little you know fast food place where that guy that he likes uh, right. works and, you know, the two of them are flirting. And then that lawyer for the environmental agency comes in. And clearly there's something going on between him and I forget the guy's name. I wrote it down here somewhere. Um, I have no idea. I just said yeah. the restaurant guy. Renz. The restaurant guy and the environment guy. What's the whole point of that scene? I guess that's my question. Yeah, How does that fit you know, into the... You know, if... if I don't know, because, you know, like, uh, you know, Lawrence, you know, he, he says, you know, you're weird, but man, I like it. Um, so he's, you know, definitely showing his attraction for this guy. And then now this rival comes in and the way he treats, you know, the, the way the, 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 the restaurant guy treats the environment guy and everything um, really, you know, raises lawrence's hackles so you know i i it, i don't know what to make of it exactly except that this is something where another thing of that pisses lawrence off you know another thing that makes him feel like unwanted or an outsider or something and which drives him even more to desire that that sense of belonging that he obviously had with his previous family but never really felt and so now he's trying to you know kind of create that sense of belonging with the the Udall family yeah and it's like he's an enemy on two levels you know that that you're you're butting in with this guy that i like but you're also an enemy of my new family because you're trying to bring Udall industries down so as Lawrence comes into his powers, whatever they might be, you know, is this setting up, you know, his first victim, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, the, that for sure. But the tapeworm is just absolutely hilarious on one level and f totally frightening on another. You know, this giant worm that he's got in him and uh, again you know the we can't help but imagine what the medicine he's been given is meant to do and we try to blot that out of our <laughs> out of our, our heads but again how does this relate to the overall arc uh, you know i mean okay fine it might explain his voracious appetite but but beyond that is there something about snakes in Norse mythology, absolutely and, yes, and Thor in particular. 100%. I'm sorry, and, and uh, 
Loki in particular? Yes. So, okay. Yeah, it's all with Ragnarok. Okay. Um, it's brought about by a, a snake that I think, I believe Loki gave birth to the snake that then brings about Ragnarok by encircling the world, I think. <clears throat> I think they actually were... This bled its way into um, the show Fred Likes. We do one a year. Hemlock Grove. Thank you. Boom. <laughs> there you go. Gosh, I was so worried that you would come up with it before I did. <laughs> Just like, uh, but anyway. So so yeah. So I, I think that that's definitely that the the that this snake has something to do with that. But uh, you know, again, don't show the gun and then not use it. Right. That I think we're going to see it because you know the, they said, oh well. You know, can we use it for science? It's still alive. And then Laura says, "Can I see it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I want to see it too." <laughs> yeah, you know. And on and the one, they didn't show it, right? Which I thought was brilliant. As much as I wanted to see it, I thought it was brilliant that they didn't let us. Yeah. And maybe that's because the special effects budget ran out for this episode. And they oh, didn't. we're going to see that. We're going to okay. see it, buddy. Okay. All that right. tapeworm is going to be seen. All right. I want to then just go ahead and go to the closing scene because we see Fior and he is dressed in Vidar's signature black turtleneck and he tearfully tells Gree that he can't go and, and she protests. But at this point, his sister's already called him a coward. He's made up his mind. He knows what he needs to do. He doesn't need her challenging him. And that brings out the orange eyes and the Darth Vader voice. And again, on the one hand, she's seen a lot. Now, she hasn't seen everything. But if we go back to, you know, the the end of season one and the fight at that warehouse, she saw a lot there. Now, whether she can explain away the, the voice and the orange eyes, I don't know. But. The fact that he his tears are streaming down his face as he's doing this lets us know that something's happening to the Giants. Mm-hmm. And whether that's going to be ultimately good or bad, we don't know. As we said, well, what's their end game? I mean, they don't want to exterminate the human race. There's no evidence for that. So, I mean, are we going to end up with this battle royale at the end? Or, or is it going to be a total t- turnaround where they decide to live in peace and harmony together somehow seems unlikely, but <laughs> <laughs> it could be, well, I, I said, I, like I could see the, the end of this being uh, both sides <clears throat> after the terrible losses that both sides have suffered, that they come to some kind of, you know, agreement slash reconciliation slash peace accord uh, that might be, you know, Manya and, and Saxa at the, the center of that, but uh, but yeah, probably either one of those things. It's just complete. I, I feel like that is going to be at, at the end of it all. That that is you know that that it's going to be Manya and Sox getting together and um, and the two sides no longer being at war with one another. But uh, but also right. you could certainly make a case where that doesn't seem likely as they've been at war with one another for ever and ever and ever, and uh, it's probably not in their natures to get along. Yeah, but but I think she is the agent for change, as she has mentioned, sure. with the company on the one hand. But I think if 
she and Magna do get together somehow. I think certainly one of the first things she's going to do is, dude, we need to do something about the hair and the clothes. So just leave it to me. I'll take mm-hmm. care of you. Anything else you want to bring up? About well, this it's one? Just, there's actually one thing that, that I kind of wanted to bring up. Well, I, I didn't want to bring up last. I did want to bring up last week. So I only thought of it after we stopped recording. And they actually mentioned, Wotan and Iman uh, mentioned it is as, you know, I thought, oh, well, with the death of Vidar, well, Manya has actually kind of gotten revenge for Isolde's death. Right. True. Which was really his, certainly in season one, was the main motivating force for him. So, you know, maybe in a way he feels like I've, you know, if he's closing the book on this, I've, you know, done what I wanted to do. I wanted to get revenge for Isolde, Vidar's dead, revenge done, check it off. Now, I, now I'm done with it. We shall see. All right. Anything else? I think that's about it, probably. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Ragnarok Season 2, Episode 4. That's always the, the fundamental question. How are we going to defeat a far superior life form? And, you know, we certainly see that in shows like uh, Falling Skies. And, and I was wondering when we were going to hear the V word. Which is that? Virus. <laughs> well, I'm not wondering when we are going to hear this word. We hear this word daily. This was a little piece of your podcast, Dave, together with Mike, about Extend, Season 2, Episode 5. And that's exactly where I currently am in the sense of what are we watching. Frustrating sometimes is when you watch these older series and listen to these older podcasts, you can't give feedback because it's already far in the past. But you always invite us to give feedback on anything sci-fi genre. So I will give a little feedback here. In this uh, podcast together with Mike in the first season called Dark Matter, but because they're was a series Dark Matter, you changed it to the Extend podcast for season two. You were very much complaining about the relationship between the main character, Molly, uh, who is an astronaut and comes back pregnant from a one-man or one-woman mission in space for 13 months. And the second storyline is that this John also creates with some co-workers a so-called humanics robot and they create it in the form of a child john and molly can't have children and in this way they get a child so that's the second storyline and the first storyline being this alien molly brings from space and all the consequences that has but in the podcast in the first season and, and later in the second season, you were always referring to that this relationship between John and Molly was so not inspiring, no chemistry, etc. And you disliked that. And then in the second season, spoiler alert, in the first episode, her husband is killed off and she hooks up with some old rogue policeman, and there the chemistry is much better. 
But I think they played it out very well because the relationship between John and Molly was a bad relationship and there was no chemistry. So what about complaining there is no chemistry? Uh, it was a cold and not very warm relationship and also not with a lot of sparks, etc. And that's what they did. So not inspiring, but it was meant as not being inspiring. So, I did give this feedback. After all, let's now go into Ragnarok. First off, I was right in the assumption that Fjord could get into trouble to suppress his giant urges. And that's what we really see happening. He did try, but he couldn't resist. And he even lets Gree go. Everybody was assuming that Gree could be killed off. Well, she's not killed off. The other option is somebody just leaves. Of course, we wonder if we will see her back somehow. Interesting, of course, which power struggle within the Utul family this will give. And the question is which role Loritz will play in that as well. I really wonder what will happen now, because in the beginning of the episode, Magna goes to Fjor and says, I did it, and if you want to take revenge, that's possible, because that are the old ways. But Fjor says, no, I really wonder if he will take that up now with Magna, or actually Thor. I don't know who is more pissed at Magna, Loritz or Fjor. It's clear that Loritz carried and gave birth to, strange as a man, to the Midgard snake, which is indeed one of the children of Loki, but it's in the mythology it's one of the children of Loki together with another giant, and in this case, I don't know what's the mother of this snake, or this just appeared in Loritz, period, or had it something to do with Odin's blood. Of course, this pregnancy also explains Loritz's enormous appetite. And what I really wonder, if Loritz has any power over this Midgard snake, whether his role within the Yutul family will change by that. Because he brings some extra fighting power into the field. In Norse mythology, Thor and the snake had a very big fight at, well, let's say, Day of Judgment, the Ragnarok. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Well, Fred has kept us up to date on what he's watching, and he is watching Extant, a podcast that I did with uh, Michael way back. Uh, this one aired in 2014 and 15, and dude, I don't remember a thing other than an extremely attractive Halle Berry as the main character mm-hmm. and Goran Viznich. Uh, who we know from Timeless as, as the lead male character. So, uh, yeah, I I think, as, as I recall, it was one of those shows that that I got the sense, well, number one, I think it got canceled before they came to any kind of resolution. And I always got the sense that because they likely were paying Halle Berry uh, an extremely high <laughs> salary, they had to skimp a little bit on the writers. And, and I mean, it was a, it was a good show, but... You know, uh, I don't know. Will Fuhr eventually take on Magna? You know, I, I think he almost has to. I think the question will be whether Magna will fight him. You know, I mean, we've seen that kind of a scene in many movies, many shows where the guy is like, I'm not going to fight you, you know, 
and he just punches him. I'm not going to fight you. And obviously, eventually they they fight, or guy's going to get the crap beat out of him. But I don't know. You know, it's it's such a complex sea of emotions at this point that you know, as Magna explains to him, you, you know, I mean, he was going to kill Lawrence. And we yeah. all know that's true. And Fjord is not stupid. So what? I'm going to fault you for defending yourself? I don't know. So it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, the two of them have to face off some yeah. way. Yeah. But, you know, how it happens, I don't know. And look, we shouldn't discount Saxa either. We already saw her physical capabilities in season one. So. We know she is certainly not one to be trifled with from a physical standpoint uh, as well, but I, I don't think she's ready to take on anybody unless it has to be done. You know, she would like to work things out, I think, intellectually. And, you know, look, if, if we can avoid a fight, let's avoid a fight. Now, he also wonders about the Midgard snake tapeworm and and i think you kind of verified that for me as well and and uh, uh like fred i love the mythological connection and and okay i'm gonna go with you that we're eventually going to see the the snake slash tapeworm gotta <laughs> see it so uh i you know speaking of that i did see that the dune movie is going to be released i think october oh, okay and it's going to be a simultaneous theater release HBO Max. Oh, it's HBO Max. All right, yes. cool. So, uh, yeah, as we get closer to that, um, because, you know, again, not to go off on a sidetrack, Dune is just one of those movies that, or, or books rather, that has not translated well to the big screen. And on the one hand, you understand why, because it's such a vast world and you're talking mm-hmm. about world building. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, now, you know, with 2021 technology. Yep. Always uh, cross your fingers. Yes, yes. But I'm looking forward to that. Fred, thank you for the feedback. And uh, you have to let us know when you finish (laughs) Extant. Remind me what happens because I honestly, I don't have a clue. (laughs) I remember Halle Berry was an astronaut. That's about all I remember. And some kind of alien life force got into the ship or and then got to Earth. I don't remember. So anyway. I'm thinking A minus. You know, I was ready to give it an A, and you could probably talk me into that. You know, I was thinking A, A minus, and uh, my natural inclination to grade down, I'm going to go with here, and we're going to call it A minus. But I really like this episode. Well, I did too, but like you said, there were several scenes that just kind of took me out of the A range because they just didn't make sense within the context of the fantasy show we're watching. So, you know, my wife, yeah, I get that, you know, your argument, uh, but no, within the context of the fantasy, it still didn't even make sense here. Right. So, right. um, so but a minus is a really good grade. Yeah. So, nothing wrong with that. So, okay. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. Okay, good. So, uh, two episodes to go. That will do it for though for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Ragnarok, what's going on in your genre world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. You can reach us by email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com. 
We'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 5 of Ragnarok. But until then... You know, Dave, the whole time we are recording, I just kept wondering, do you have to poop? <laughs>